Hey guys, so last week on the chapters of the book, we got to learn a little bit about Gina and myself getting back together. We got to learn about my experiences with my mother, such as me going to my father's house on my birthday at the time that my mother would have called. And then obviously the situation at the bar at the comedy show with the bikers that showed up. This week, you're going to learn about how I met Tracy. And that's going to be the major focus over the two chapters that we go through today. I hope you enjoy. Chapter 16. Life has a funny way of working out. September of 2007 had been an uneventful month. Gina and I were moving steadily along. My personal development had continued and I had nearly eradicated my anger issues. There was still the occasional outburst, but I had a grasp on this former issue. Little things never seemed to make me angry anymore. I had learned to pick my battles. Even when I did get angry, I no longer raged. This was a huge win for me. When I had raged in the past, I would say the most hurtful things and later feel regret. I was proud of myself. Up till that point of my life, I genuinely believed that a person could not change. I had proven myself wrong and I was thrilled to be wrong. My depression was another tough challenge. I learned that I could not keep the oppressive feelings from occurring, but I was in control of how long they hung around. The secret was to not feed into them. I had to reverse them some way. That is what I taught myself to do to control my depression. When a negative thought entered my mind, I immediately thought of something that made me happy. Now, this did not fix the problem immediately. It took some patience. Patience was my new best friend. Patience allowed me to beat my anger problems, and it was going to help me beat depression. Perseverance is also needed, so do not just throw in the towel if recovery does not go as planned initially. Clearly, I had proven that I could persevere in my pursuit of Gina. Replacing a negative thought with a positive one has become second nature for me when it comes to depression. This was not a cure-all, but I have been able to manage my feelings without medicine for the most part. While September had been uneventful, October, on the other hand, had enough insanity for both months. Gina and I had not argued or even experienced a slight disagreement in our relationship. Now we were starting to have some issues. I saw the danger signals early. After all, I've had six years of training at this, and I let that training guide my impressions. Gina started to go on more and more paranormal investigations. She seemed to be locking down her emotions. One evening, before she went on one of the investigations, I asked if I could see her. The answer was no. I told her that I missed her, and she blasted me, accusing me of smothering her. I could not believe what I was hearing, which was surprising considering our history. In my defense, just a week before, she had emailed and messaged me several times that she missed me and wished that we could spend every second of the day together. Now, suddenly, she thinks I'm smothering her. Been there, done that, and have the t-shirt. Fuck that, I've got a whole closet full of those shirts. Honestly, I thought it was going to be different this time. Transparency is important to me, so I need to admit that I had made a mistake that at this time I had not fully realized that I was making. 
Gina's teenage son had gotten into motocross racing, I had agreed to be a sponsor using my comedy name. Now would be a good time to discuss my stage name. I went by The Rent Daddy. And this was derived from a joke about my rent-to-own career. A friend of mine came up with an AOL screen name, Rent Man. So I made up The Rent Daddy to one-up him. When I started doing comedy, I was a member of a website named Louisville Mojo. That was my screen name on the site. This site would host events at Comedy Caravan, and when I was introduced, since no one knew my real name, I was always brought on stage as Louisville Mojo's The Rent Daddy, and it just stuck. I started doing lots of advertising with this name and the logo, including plastering it all over my car. When I was asked about sponsoring Gina's son, I thought it would entail maybe some signage and fronting some money for some events. I should have inquired further about what all sponsorship would entail. I bought him some equipment that he needed, and I thought I was fulfilling my role. One day, he asked if I would take him to a track that was about five hours away. My response was to laugh sarcastically and said, Are you kidding me? That's like five hours away. That was the mistake. This meant a lot to him, and I, like the way that I had treated my own children, did not give a second thought about what it meant to him. My only consideration was how it would affect me. Gina later told me that this hurt his feelings, and the sponsors do this for their riders all the time. I had no clue. But that was my fault. I did call and apologize to him. He accepted my apology, but the damage was done. A few days later, Gina and I mutually agreed to call it quits. After three months, the dream was over. After the breakup, I fell back into a deep state of depression. All my recent tricks that I had learned to battle depression were quickly overwhelmed by my thoughts of what could have been, suicide, and just how much I hated my life. What a drastic turn from just a few weeks before. The only thing I had to look forward to were my children. My best friend Rondo had broken up with his girlfriend and in a turn of events was now living with me. My oldest son Austin had moved from Cheryl's house in Lexington, Kentucky to my house in Louisville, so he was living with me as well. Austin had dropped out of high school in Lexington and decided to re-enroll once he got settled at my house. In order to do that, I had to fill out some paperwork to get his transcripts from his prior school. Normally, this would be routine, but there was a big issue. Austin told his grandfather that I was taking him to get his transcripts, and his grandfather asked, Are they going to give you the transcripts without him being your real father? Cheryl and I had not told Austin that I was not his biological father. Austin was 17, and we should have told him before this we had intended to do that, but we had just not done it yet. I can only imagine how Austin felt when he heard that information for the first time. In his grandfather's defense, he thought that this was something that Austin was aware of and honestly should have been. Cheryl and I dropped the ball on that one. We planned to tell him so many different times, but it was difficult to tell a kid that his real father did not want him. Austin handled the situation with as much maturity as possible and was completely fine with the news. He told me that you're the only dad that I've ever known, so you are my dad. And that was music to my ears. 
Work was going great. Comedy was going great. I was still depressed, though. My self-esteem was completely gone. I went out with a few different women, but I did so basically to fill my time and keep loneliness at bay. There was no connection with any of these women. That changed, as did my life forever, when Tracy Peluso walked into my life in late January of 2007. We'd been chatting for several months on that Louisville Mojo site mentioned earlier, but that had been just casual conversation. We had not shared a meaningful conversation, and I knew very little about her. I did know what she looked like, and that she had lots of blonde hair. At that time, I had been casually dating a hairdresser by the name of Carissa. She was young and attractive, but honestly not my type. The salon that Carissa worked at. The salon that she worked at was next door to a Chinese buffet. We met at the restaurant on her lunch break on Wednesday, January 30th. After being seated, I got up to go fix my plate. That's when I noticed this beautiful blonde that I had recognized from online. I could not remember her name at the time, and I'm sure she did not remember mine either. She was with three other women who were all wearing scrubs. As I got close to her, she noticed me, and it was obvious that she recognized me as well. She stood up and said hello and flashed her radiant smile at me before holding out her arms for a hug, which I gladly accepted. Later that night, we visited online with much more enthusiasm than we ever had before. A few nights later, Tracy invited me over to her apartment. I told her that I would be over in about 40 minutes. She was almost a 30-minute drive away from where I lived. I really wanted to go over there, but was extremely tired because it was already 10 p.m. at this point. I had worked all day and had to get up at 6.30 the next morning. So I decided to call her back and I made up the excuse that my roommate just called and his car was broken down on the freeway. When I said that I was going to have to take a rain check, Tracy was clearly disappointed, and she told me that it was a shame because she had been drinking, and she really wanted me to come over. Now, I might have been a liar, but I was not an idiot. I said, let me see if I can find somebody else to go help my buddy out, and I'll call you back. Not surprisingly, I called Tracy back and told her that I was on my way. My connection with Tracy was so strong that the following day I told Carissa that I was no longer interested in dating and I canceled a date with another woman that I had planned for the following weekend. I learned early on in my comedy career that I could use my local celebrity status to help others. I'd done several comedy benefits to help others in need at this point. Sometimes it was someone who had just lost a loved one and needed help with funeral expenses. Sometimes it was a family who had lost everything in a house fire, and sometimes it was someone that needed help with a medical situation. By the time I met Tracy, I had already funded two wishes for Make-A-Wish. Doing this helped me make amends for mistakes that I had made in my life. I asked Tracy to be my date to a benefit that I had set up for a gentleman who needed a double lung transplant. She accepted the invitation not knowing what type of comedy I performed. My act was beyond filthy. My comedy idols growing up were Andrew Dice Clay, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor. She was unaware of that fact. This was not her style of entertainment, and she was surprised at what she heard. We had been chatting for weeks, and the conversations we had were unlike anything she was about to see on stage. 
This was all an act, but she sat there in shock and awe. Tracy was literally the sweetest, most giving person I had ever met in my entire life. I instantly knew that she was special. Tracy's life paralleled mine in many ways. We had both gone through a divorce after a long marriage. We had both just gotten out of significant relationships. Her previous relationship had lasted nine years. She was working at a dental office full-time and working at a bar a few nights a week just to be able to make ends meet. She was struggling financially. I can remember her telling me that her cell phone was about to get turned off because she didn't have the money to pay the bill. I knew that this was not a ploy to get money out of me to pay her bill. She just wanted me to know that if I called and the phone was off, it was not because she was avoiding me. I felt so bad that this sweetheart of a person was working so many hours a week and still struggling. I paid her phone bill partly because I wanted to help, but also because I could not bear the thought of not being able to talk to her. There were other times when she said that she could not come over because she did not have enough money for gas. Knowing that she was struggling was tough. She also had no self-esteem. She could not take a compliment, and she was ashamed of her laugh. Her laugh has always been what I loved the most about her. I lived to make that woman laugh. Tracy had an old desktop computer at her apartment that she used to get online. That computer took forever to load up and was extremely slow. Her apartment was small and overpriced, but in a nice complex. Her daughter Kristen was living there with her. Tracy also had a son named Josh, who lived with his father in northern Kentucky at the time. One day, Tracy commented on how nice my laptop was and that she had never had a laptop. I decided to do something special for this exceptionally kind-hearted woman. I bought her a laptop as a surprise for Valentine's Day. I turned it on and I set the screensaver to say, Happy Valentine's Day, in white lettering on a bright red background. I had all the lights off in the room filled with lit candles. There was a pathway of rose petals that I had strategically placed on the floor leading the way to the bedroom. The look on her face when she saw the laptop on the bed was magical. She exclaimed, You bought me a laptop? And immediately burst into tears. I knew that I wanted to spend, from that moment, I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life creating magical moments for this woman. Within the next week, I asked her to move in with me. She worked it out to have Kristen take over the apartment, and it was official. I had a new roommate. For the first time in six years, I was in love with someone other than Gina. Tracy was the first woman to ever make me feel like I could move on from her. Gina will always be someone that has a special place in my heart, but Tracy was my real soulmate. Life has a funny way of working out sometimes. Gina and I will always have a special connection. She just was not meant for me. She has been married for years and we talk a few times a year. We both realized that life had separate paths for us to take and, and we've come to terms with that and we're happy with the way our lives turned out. Chapter 17, Marriage, Take Two On Memorial Day weekend of 2007, I pulled my best move yet. We had some great friends, Rob Moppin and Billy Walker, who were in a cover band called Grindstone. 
We'd gone to see them several times, and I knew all of their girlfriends and their spouses. Their shows were a big party, and Trace and I loved live music and the atmosphere they created. Grindstone had a gig at Phoenix Hill Tavern on that Saturday night. They were going to be performing in the section of the club that was called the Rooftop Garden. Now, this was a beautiful space with a great deal of old wood, a glass roof, and plants everywhere. There was even a fountain in the middle of the room. This was a huge area that would hold about 300 people. So I talked to Rob and I asked if I could come up on stage during their performance and propose to Tracy. They absolutely loved the idea and agreed to even hand out poppers like you give out on New Year's Eve to everyone that was in the audience. I set all this up the week before so that I could follow through with the rest of the plan. I told Tracy to invite all of her work friends to the show on behalf of the band because they wanted to have a large crowd. Now, unbeknownst to Tracy, I had already spoken to her friends and told them my plan to propose. That way, she would have all of her friends there for her special moment. Everyone showed up and we were having a great time. The moment came for me to take the stage. I wanted Tracy up there with me, obviously, so I told her that I wanted her to join me on stage for an announcement. I had an upcoming comedy show, and she thought that the band had given me permission to promote it in between sets, mainly because that's what I had told her. Rob introduced me, and we're still out in the audience. I grabbed her hand and told her to come along. This was taking a big risk making a public proposal, but it worked. I took the microphone, I turned to Tracy, and I told her how special she was to me. I plucked the ring from my pocket, got on one knee, and proposed in front of 300 people. We had only been together for four months, so I wasn't exactly sure that she would accept. But there was no question that we were meant to be together, and we both knew that. The band had a surprise for us. After the crowd started to quiet down, Grindstone played a beautiful rendition of Edwin McCain's I'll Be, and we danced. The video of me proposing to Tracy on Phoenix Hill's stage is on the Hillbilly Horror Stories YouTube page if you want to see what I just described above. That was not only a beginning for the rest of our lives, but for that weekend. There were more surprises. I was taking her away for the weekend. I had rented a small cabin for us at Otter Creek Park for Saturday, and I bought us tickets to C-38 Special and Orange County Choppers live at Fort Knox. She loved Orange County Choppers. This was a weekend I will remember for the rest of my life. That weekend, we set our wedding date for September 30th of that same year. We met at the end of January, I proposed in May, and we were getting married in September. How about that for a whirlwind courtship? Awkwardness is beautiful to me, and this next part is what many would describe as awkward. Tracy and I double-dated to a comedy show with Cheryl and her husband, Mickey. But that was not something I considered awkward. I just wanted to illustrate that what might be awkward for some is not awkward for others. Tracy had just gotten out of a nine-year relationship when we had met. His name was Mike, and he was a very caring guy. He felt bad about their breakup, and he helped her get the apartment that she was living in, even gave her some money from time to time when she was struggling. He owned a highly successful process-serving company, and he was looking for someone to serve court papers for him. Tracy suggested to him that I would be a good fit for the job because I had done similar work on the collection side of the rent-to-own business. 
I liked the idea, and after getting my court certification, I was now working part-time for Tracy's ex-boyfriend. I was still working full-time for Rentway. Rentway had just been purchased by Rent-A-Center. I was not really thrilled with this development, but I was willing to give it a chance to see if the working conditions with them were really as bad as what the industry rumors were. My old divisional manager, Bill Milby, had left the company when the buyout happened, and he started his own company. Monty, my regional manager and Bill's best friend, also left the company to join Bill. They invited me to come along, but I was getting ready to get married. Switching from an established company to a fledgling company was not in my best interest. I did learn something from my past. Besides, with Monty leaving, there was now a regional position open, and I was one of the top candidates to be his replacement. A week before my wedding, I was told that the regional position was going to either go to me or an out-of-town candidate. I would have an answer in a few days. Fast forward to 6 p.m. on Saturday night, I was leaving work. My wedding was at noon the next day. The phone rang and my boss was on the line. I was informed that the other candidate had gotten the position. I was angry because that was a real jerk move to wait until that late in the day right before my wedding, to tell me a decision that I'm sure they knew days earlier. Tracy and I got married, and we went on our honeymoon to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. When I got back to work after our honeymoon, I turned in my two-week notice. I had a standing offer to go work for my old boss, Bill Milby, and I worked there for the next nine months. Serving papers for Mike had been going very well, and I decided to build on that success and move to that full-time. This was a commission-only business, so I was obviously nervous about that aspect. But I was confident in my skill at work. I may not be the smartest man, but I sure as hell will outwork most of my competitors. Over the next few years, I enjoyed a very successful career as a process server. I made more money than I had ever made in my life. Mike was a great boss, but an even better friend. He became someone that I could trust and lean on if needed. We would go over to his house every Super Bowl and every Kentucky Derby, as well as numerous other events. He and his wife, Melanie, were the perfect hosts. The money I made doing comedy was no longer a necessity, so most of the shows that I set up were for charitable purposes. For a while, I had my own charity, the Rent Daddy Charitable Foundation. The money that the foundation made would go to help people in the community who needed assistance in paying their rent or their utilities. We did shows for the Center of Women and Families in Louisville to get much-needed supplies for their location. This was an organization that provided shelter and anonymity for abused women with children. They would give us a list of supplies that they were short on, such as shampoo, body wash, or socks, and we would ask that fans bring those items as admission to the comedy show. At Christmas, we hosted shows for three different orphanages. A new toy was the admission to these shows. We had people reaching out every few weeks who had a need. We would help whenever we possibly could. One thing that did prove difficult over our first six years of marriage was our depression. That was not a typo. Tracy also had her battles with depression. That was frustrating on a different level. I knew how to deal with my depression, but not her depression. I would sometimes shoulder the blame and ask why it was that I could not make her happy. Obviously, I knew that I had little to do with her depression, as I'd been battling my own for years. 
I not only expected myself to control my own episodes, but I felt responsible for helping to control her bouts as well. And that just was not possible. Over the years, Tracy's bouts of depression improved. Tracy was a broken person when I met her. And I was too. We came into each other's lives at a perfect time. We needed each other. When I first met Tracy, she did not like for her picture to be taken. That changed over time. Self-confidence is much harder to bring back up than it is to beat down. Most of the disagreements that we had were connected to our lack of self-confidence, and we would project that we were going to lose each other. As trust grew, so did our relationship. I kept anger at bay in the marriage, and I got to be the protagonist rather than the antagonist. Tracy needed to be built up, and I relished the task of doing that rather than the tearing down that I did in my first marriage. Don't get me wrong. I was not perfect in this marriage. I still said things on occasion that I wished I had not said, but those were rare moments compared to my past. Trust me when I tell you that no one should be so comfortable with themselves that they do not continuously work to improve. As soon as you do that, old habits start to creep back in your life. The key is to catch it immediately and send that old habit packing. In 2010, I almost lost the love of my life. The story starts off in a magical way. This was the middle of September, a few weeks from our three-year anniversary. I had to serve some paperwork to a pastor of a beautiful church in the east end of Louisville. He was also a family therapist, and the courts needed his testimony for a child who was under his care. He could not have been a nicer man. I complimented him on the elegance of his church. A plan then came to me. Tracy and I were married in a reception hall, and we had our reception in the same facility. I knew that she would have rather been married in a church. I mentioned to the pastor that we would be going out for our anniversary, and I would love to surprise Tracy by bringing her in to renew our wedding vows. He agreed that it would be fun, and we set something up. I made it a point to go on and on about the beauty of this church. That was part of my setup. My plan was to invite Kristen, Dakota, Amber, my father, and my sisters. And I told them to be at the church at 5 p.m. My biggest hurdle was convincing Tracy to join me at the church without her suspecting anything. I can be a little tricky. On September 30th, our anniversary... I pretended to get a call right as we were walking out the door to go to dinner. I explained to her that I was sorry, but I had to deliver another subpoena to the pastor of that beautiful church. I further explained that it would only take a few minutes and that the church was on the way to the restaurant. When we arrived at the church and parked, I made sure that there were no vehicles in the parking lot that she would recognize. I got out of the car, then turned back to her and said, Hey, come on and go in with me so you can see how pretty this place is. She agreed, and we were on our way. A few of the girls announced that we were about to enter the church, and this cued the music to start. I walked my lovely bride through the door to the ensemble of family members and straight to the altar, where the pastor was anxiously awaiting. Kristen handed her a bouquet of flowers, and then the vows were underway and over in a matter of minutes. Tracy never knew what hit her. 
After that surprise, we had a magnificent dinner at our favorite Italian restaurant, and then we were off to a hotel room at a nearby casino. From start to finish, the evening was magical and one to never forget. Within 12 hours, disaster would strike. I had to work the next morning, therefore we had to check out of the hotel earlier than we would have desired. As I was dropping Tracy off at the house, she mentioned that she did not feel well. I inquired for more details. She said that she just felt off. There was some pain and some tightness in her chest. I told her that we were going to the hospital. She argued for a bit and said that if she were not feeling any better by the time I got home from work, we would go then. I refused and took her to the hospital. They did some preliminary tests and decided to rush her in for emergency heart catheterization. If you're unfamiliar with that procedure, they make an incision in your upper thigh slash groin area, they run a wire straight up to your heart, and they take a look at all of your arteries. This way they can determine if there are any blockages. After the procedure, the doctor called me over to Tracy's bedside and he told us that Tracy had a 90% blockage in the artery commonly known as the Widowmaker. This nickname represents that most people die before they even realize they have an issue. The doctor said that we were very lucky that Tracy needed to be rushed in for an emergency sextuple bypass heart surgery. I was scheduled to perform on a comedy cruise two weeks from this time. Tracy asked the surgeon if the operation could wait till after the cruise, which the doctor informed her that not only could it not wait two weeks, he was not going to wait another minute. He was sending her up for emergency heart surgery. We called Tracy's family as well as my family to let them know this turn of events and give them the opportunity to get to the hospital. Her parents and sister lived about an hour away. The surgery was going to take approximately six hours. Within two hours, I was completely surrounded by family members from both sides. The night before, we were renewing our vows and celebrating our anniversary, and now I was sitting in a waiting room as Tracy was in a fight for her life behind those operating room doors. As the hours ticked by, we got the occasional update from one of the nurses. Everything was looking better and better with each update. Finally, one of the assisting surgeons made his way to the waiting room and guided us to a more private room. The surgery had been successful. She was still unconscious from the anesthesia and we would not be able to see her that evening because of the hospital's visiting hour rules. They also did not allow anyone to spend the night in the waiting room. Most of the family left after finding out that Tracy was fine, but they were not going to be able to see her. I could not leave, though. I refused to leave the waiting room until someone could tell me that she was awake. Eventually, they agreed to let me see her for a few minutes before I was made to leave. This woman was my world, and I was not leaving without telling her that I loved her in person. Tracy was released after a few days. I spent the next four weeks helping her as much as I could. This was taxing with my work schedule, but I had the flexibility to come home throughout the day when it was needed. She also had a nurse that would stop by the house a few days a week to change bandages and take out the staples in her chest. Experiencing this kind of brush with death and the aftermath helps one to realize the depth of their love, even if they thought they already knew. In 2013, changes in the laws had made it harder for companies to sue debtors. At that same time, local judges had changed the procedure in which process summoners could get summonses to serve. 
The old process gave collection agencies and lawyers the choice between process server or the sheriff's department. This was changed to all summonses had to go through the sheriff's department first. By September of 2013, this had caused our workload to diminish substantially. I was on track to make 70% of what I had made the year before. Projections for the following year were even bleaker. Being proactive, I decided that I would like to get into the life insurance business. Through my comedy benefits, I had raised funds to help bury people and witness the financial strain of not having that person's income anymore. I felt I could make a real difference with that business and use the income to subsidize what I was making serving papers. I started taking my class online. As I was about to take my test in early November, an instant message on Facebook completely changed my course. At this time on Facebook, if someone were online, it would reveal to you the location where that person was writing from. My old boss, Bill Milby, was online and his location said Aruba. I sent him a message and asked if he was really in Aruba. He replied yes. He was working as a regional manager for a rent-to-own company called Dial Rent-to-Own that only had locations on tropical islands in the Pacific and the Caribbean. Then, half-jokingly, I was pretty sure, he said, I need a manager in Aruba. Do you and Tracy want to move? I asked if he was serious, and he said he was, if I really was interested. So Tracy and I discussed the position and the move. This was an enticing offer. We gave it some serious consideration, but after talking to our buddy from Grindstone, Billy Walker, we decided to decline. Billy traveled to Aruba for work on occasion, and he said that he did not think that we would like living there. He informed us that Aruba was Dutch-owned, which meant different currency, and that the government was way different than America. I notified Bill the next day of our decision, and that it was fun to think about, but being under Dutch government and currency and the language differences were deciding factors. Then came the counteroffer that I was not expecting. Bill said, what about St. Thomas and the U.S. Virgin Islands? So money, language, and government are all the same. Did we really have an opportunity to move to the Virgin Islands? Yes. Yes, we did. The offer was on the table, and it was a great offer, both financially and for the location. Tracy and I decided that this would be the best decision for us. This would not be a permanent position for us. We would go there for a few years, and then we'd move back home. The position would not start until the beginning of the next year, which was perfect, because we had much to get in order. This was November, so that gave us plenty of time. The first thing that we needed to do was tell our family about the move. We had five children between us, not to mention three grandchildren, Dakota, Addison, and Logan. I had my dad and sisters. Tracy had her parents, Eddie and Pearl, her sister Susie. We knew that this would be difficult. My daughter Amber was living with us at the time. She had been preparing to move soon anyway, just not this soon. We broke the news to my side of the family before breaking the news to Tracy's family. We chose to do that on Thanksgiving. We were excited about the adventure we were about to embark on, but leaving our families was going to be extremely hard.